Ta'alofa listeners, and welcome back to my fabulous blind life. I'm Nicole, your host, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about my trip to California and staying with one of my best girlfriends, Roxy, and my search for some sort of normality or balance in my life. I would like to dedicate and devote this episode to my girl, Roxy, who I sadly lost in February of 2020. Roxy, sweetie, this one's for you. I know you're up there in heaven kicking it with my two favorite guys, Tupac and Prince. I love you forever, and you are eternally a friend in my heart. So, listeners, after my disastrous visit to the school in Seattle for the blind, I think I was scared to death of what that would look like for me. I was still in an extreme amount of denial and I really couldn't picture myself being like those other individuals at the school and learning all those things. I think I was really searching for some sort of independence and some sort of normality in my life. I really didn't want to accept that my life was going to have to change and I was going to have to learn things like these other individuals at the school. I really wanted to take a step backwards, maybe go back in time before I had lost my sight, when things made sense to me, when I knew what to expect, when I knew what my life was about. I just didn't really know where to go from here. By the time of my visit to the School for the Blind in Seattle, I'm thinking we were about a year out or so from me losing my sight. As I said before, I was getting very antsy and I really just didn't know where to go from here. I was sick and tired of doctor's appointments, physical therapy appointments, occupational therapy appointments. I was sick and tired of everybody around me telling me what to do or what they thought I should do or how they thought I should move on or what they thought I should learn or And I was really just kind of like ready to tell everybody in my life, including my doctors that were annoying me, giving me all these suggestions and schools to go to, to just take a flying leap. After this all happened, and I think my mom could see I was getting antsy and frustrated, she suggested that I go and stay with my girlfriend in California for a couple months. When she said this, I pretty much thought she was pulling my leg or making a joke because over the past year, her and I had kind of become, I guess you could say, hooked at the hip. Um, We had figured out ways to do things like go shopping, um, getting dressed, just day-to-day things. So I really didn't feel like my mother, who was rather overprotective of me at the time, would just let me go to California without her and be with a girlfriend for about two months. I really kind of thought she was messing around with me. But I think at this time, my mom could see maybe my internal struggle with myself and knew I needed some sort of outlet or some sort of way to feel normal. By this time, mom and I had drove and flown back to California several times to see my doctor and document the progress of healing in my eyes, to see an attorney, and to visit with grandparents. When I first started going back, it was a complete anxiety attack to me every single time. 
and I never ever wanted to leave the comfort of my mother's side or my grandmother's house. I used to, when I first started going back to California, have all my friends come to my grandmother's house to see me. And then as I started to make more progress, I got a little braver and went out to dinner with my friends and didn't go with my mom. I had never really spent the night away from my mom yet though. My friends had offered to take me and we could go overnight to their house, but I was never really brave enough to do that. I was always too scared something would happen in the middle of the night and nobody was gonna be able to help me but my mom. I had become pretty, I guess you could say, codependent upon her. So when she suggested me going for two months away with my friend and I'd never spent a night away from her in the past year, I think um, my anxiety really kind of took over everything I was thinking and going through inside. Even though my anxiety was trying to overwhelm and overtake me, I kept thinking about who I used to be before I lost the sight. And the Nicole before me would have just jumped in, not even looked back for this situation. So I put all my apprehensive and anxieties behind me and I just jumped into the opportunity. And I think I did this because I felt like I would feel some sort of normality inside. I would feel like my life hadn't just drastically been turned upside down and shaken. My mom had suggested I go and stay with my girlfriend, Roxy. This absolutely made me elated. Roxy was one of my dearest friends and every time I was with her, we always had the most fun and sometimes got up to some mischief. I think to understand mine and Roxy's friendship, you're probably gonna need a little backstory about us. Roxy was one of the most caring, outgoing, big-hearted, charismatic, loving individuals I ever knew. Sadly, I lost Roxy in February of 2020 due to a weak heart valve. She was a ride or die type of friend. You could call her at 3 a.m. in the morning and say some shit like, I've been arrested and thrown in the drunk tank and they're gonna let me out at 5 a.m. Can you come get me? She would probably reply with something like, uh, fuck you, bitch, but I'm on my way. It's been a long time. I think Roxy and I met in about the latter part of 1995. I think we were both about 18 and a half-ish. Uh, we found out we were a month apart. I was born November 1st and she was born December 1st. At this time in my life, I was working at a place called Olin Mills Portrait Studio. I was what they called a floater. I could float between studio to studio and fill in for people who were sick or who had vacation. I was trained in the various different positions at Olin Mills, like photographer, photo sales, and appointment setting, so I could pretty much go anywhere they needed me all over the Bay Area. When I met Roxy, I was in the Concord studio, and she just happened to be friends with our telemarketer manager. I remember I would talk with her when she came in. Um, 
sometimes I hung out with her and the telemarketer manager and sometimes we went out in the back of the studio and got stoned. Roxy and I couldn't have been more different from each other. We were exact opposites, but that was the best thing about Roxy. She didn't care who you were or where you were from or who you hung out with. She really tried to be friends with absolutely everybody. Roxy was what I would describe as a gothic chick, a pretty cool one at that. Um, she listened to things like Corn and Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson and of course heavy metal. She had really dark hair. Uh, she used to wear black makeup and black lipstick. She didn't really care what you thought of her. She also, of course, had various different piercings and drove this big, gray, funky, I don't know how to describe it, but hoopty with all these stickers on it. And she used to have this cat in the back of her car. It was, it was absolutely hilarious. Anyway, I was, I guess, what you could call a 902 wannabe, except I was Polynesian. So when I say this, I don't mean I drove a BMW, I had tons of credit cards and I had a ton of plastic surgery. What I mean is I was always dressed really nice. Um, even if I couldn't afford the designer clothes, I always had my makeup and hair done. And I kind of like listened to most pop groups that were popular. I listened to Prince and Tupac. I had a real big thing for the 80s. I used to drive Roxy nuts with that. I think at the time Roxy and I met, the only thing we really um, had in common was that we were both overweight or plus size females, whatever you wanna call it. Roxy could be rough around the edges, but even with her funky makeup, her piercings, once you got to know her, you couldn't help but love her and realize she was just an amazing human being deep down inside. My grandmother, who was, I guess you could say somewhat proper, wasn't used to all this, um, I don't know how you wanna call it, girl power. She, she was raised in the depression. So she wasn't really used to the black makeup or the piercings in the face or the tattoo. I remember I had a tattoo and she absolutely hated it and thought it wasn't ladylike. I remember the first time I brought Roxy home and my grandmother wasn't used to me hanging out with girls like Roxy. Remember, I said I was kind of a 90210 wannabe, so that's kind of the group I hung out with. But she always got a kick out of Roxy and Roxy could always make my grandmother laugh. She absolutely adored her. I remember one day Roxy, myself, and my grandmother were sitting around having lunch. We had popped in on her. And of course, every time we popped in, she'd welcome us in and be like, come on in and it's lunchtime, which we knew we were starving. We didn't have any money. We were on our own. Of course, we knew it was lunchtime at grandma's. And we were sitting there eating and my grandma goes, hey, Roxy, if you took all those piercings out of your face, you would be so beautiful. To which Roxy replies, well, hey, Grandma, how would you know it was me then if I didn't have all these piercings? My grandmother just started to laugh and she said, Roxy, you always make me laugh. You always have the funniest and wittiest comebacks. 
I remember my grandmother calling me after she had found out that Roxy had passed and she was really, really sad and really, really upset. I think more for me than herself, but she said to me, I can't believe that wonderful girl's spirit is gone. I can't believe we won't have her personality, her witty comments, and she won't be able to make us laugh anymore. I think over time, I realized that Roxy and I's differences didn't even really matter. We always had such an amazing time together, and I think we pushed each other to be better people and to get out of our comfort zones and living inside these boxes of what we thought we were supposed to be. I remember this one time Roxy took me to this dive in Berkeley, California. I think it was actually called the Berkeley Square and she was dressed as her usual Roxy self and I was dressed, I had just gotten off work so I was pretty much in dress clothes. And we went to this dive to basically listen to some hard rock, alternative music, whatever you want to call it, and get stoned in the back with the manager. I remember when I walked in looking around and everybody was pretty much dressed like Roxy and I kind of stuck out like a sore thumb, but it really didn't matter because I was with Roxy and we were having fun and we just ignored everybody. I think this was probably one of the most funnest things about mine and Roxy's friendship is we took each other to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Like I remember one time, even though she protested, I made her get up dressed up all fancy and took her to a hip hop club. And then another time she wouldn't uh, get dressed up all fancy. She wanted to be herself. I took her to a hip hop concert and as usual, as my usual wannabe 90210 self and dressed to the nines and hair and makeup, but not Roxy. Roxy was authentically gonna be herself. I remember she wore her Marilyn Manson shirt and it said, I am the God of fuck on the back. I remember one time we were at this concert and some ladies had walked by and made a comment about mine and Roxy's weight. Cause as I told you, we were both overweight. And Roxy turned around and said, well, I can always lose weight, bitch, but I don't think you can lose ugly. To me, I think this pretty much describes Roxy in a nutshell. She was always authentically herself. She never really cared what anybody thought. And she always had a fabulously funny, witty comeback for everything. I remember Roxy and I used to throw these things that we like to call um, bucket parties where we would get buckets like you would have at a barbecue or something and fill them with ice and we would fill them with liquor bottles of things like Jack Daniels coolers, Zima, St. Ice Special Brew, other liquors across uh, around that type and I think we always had a couple bottles of hard alcohol of course for shots. Roxy and I used to get so excited whenever we would throw one of these bucket parties. We'd always go around chanting, bucket party, bucket party. We used to think these were the most fabulous things. I remember our parties were pretty epic. There was always a wide range of people there drinking and having fun and, of course, getting stoned. I think, though, one of mine and Roxy's favorite thing to do was go to this bar in Oakland or Alameda, I think, in California. 
that was called the Shamrock. At that time, the I think it was called the Carl Vincent ship was docked there. And we had a lot of sailor friends on that ship that would go to this bar that we would hang out with. Uh, this bar was the first bar that Roxy ever bought me my first legal drink at, which was of course a blowjob. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to say this without laughing and kind of feeling ashamed of my behavior, but it's my history, so I guess I, I'll have to say it. Um, I used to have this bar trick that I could do, and we would we coined it the bottle trick. Um, what I used to do is basically go down on a beer bottle with no hands and pick it up with my mouth and then chug a lug it and then put it back down on the bar. And I did this all, of course, with no hands. Now, as you listeners can probably imagine, I got pretty popular with the guys after doing this trick in the bar and Roxy would always make me do it when we were running low on cash for the evening or we needed some free drinks. She would always say, hey, to some guy, you wanna see what my friend can do with your beer bottle? And of course, whatever guy she was talking to would say sure and Roxy would say something along the lines of, okay, it's gonna cost you a pitcher of beer or it's gonna cost you a shot. And then of course off I would go with the bottle trick and then the free liquor would just start to flow because sometimes other guys would come up and ask me if I'd do it and Roxy would always say, um, pitcher of beer or shot. So one night, which was no different from any other night, Roxy and I went ahead and headed over to the Shamrock with another friend. So as the night wore on and things started to get a little crazy and uh, we of course started to run a little low on cash, of course out came the bottle trick and Roxy was talking to some guy and she said I was making out with some guy but I don't remember doing that. <laughs> but anyway, for some reason she decided that we just hadn't had enough to drink that evening. We needed more. So she's like, hey, I'm gonna go walk down to the liquor store with our last 20 bucks and buy us a bottle. I'm like, okay, whatever. And so she came back and I remember she had leaves all over her back and I was like, hey, what happened to you? And she just started laughing. She's like, nothing, at least I'm not making out with a stranger in a bar. All right, lady, <laughs> whatever. But like I said, she always had fast and witty comebacks. So into the bathroom we went and our other friend followed us in, but I don't know that we knew she was even there because we were really, really wasted. So I sat down and I'm going pee and Roxy's pouring us shots and we're doing shots. And then I get up and I had wore some extremely tight jeans. I know all you women can uh, empathize with me because everybody's done it one time in life in their, or another, worn jeans they probably shouldn't have wore. So as Roxy was sitting on the toilet, peeing I was like hey hey I can't get my jeans zipped up and she just was laughing trying to help me trying to help me zip up my jeans and we just can't stop laughing and the shots are still flowing and then we hear our friends say can you can you two stop messing around or stop effing around or something like that I really have to pee and we're just laughing away the next thing I know Roxy like lunges forward and pushes me into a mirror in which I cut my elbow on 
Um, she grabs onto the sink to balance herself, but unfortunately and accidentally rips it out of the wall and water starts spraying everywhere. And then we turn around and our girlfriend, who was really annoyed with us at the time, had just kicked Roxy off the toilet and sat down and finally peed and relieved herself. So as water is spraying everywhere and we are laughing our asses off and can't really get ourselves together, we're looking at each other like, oh shit, we got to get out of here. So our friend leans down and basically turns off the water and walks out of the bathroom and continues on with her evening. But Roxy and I, for some reason, thought, well, it's time to bounce up out of this bar because we've caused enough problems for the evening. So we're leaving the bar and we get outside and we could not remember who drove that night. So after about 10 or 15 minutes of looking for my car and then realizing, well, I didn't even have my car keys on me, we started looking for Roxy's truck. Now, I don't condone drinking and driving, but I'm just giving you a little history here. So off to Roxy's house we went. Now, I had just received this fabulous designer guest purse and for some reason, that night, because I was so drunk, it was too heavy for me to even manage. So it was just like hanging around my neck, like some sort of horse feed bag or something. And so as we're driving home, we're going through this tunnel that you have to go through called the Caldecott Tunnel. And these this tunnel has really big dips and bumps. And I must have passed out because the next thing I know, I'm waking up and I'm puking inside my fabulous new guest purse. Roxy's laughing her ass off as she's trying to kick me with her foot to stick my head out the window to puke out the window. So, thank God, we must have had an angel on our shoulder this evening. We made it back to Roxy's house, and I'm basically stumbling in, can barely walk. I have a purse full of puke around my neck, Roxy basically strips me down and hoses me off, throws my clothes in the washer, and puts our stupid drunk asses to bed. So, of course, from that time on, anytime Roxy and I were together and we went through this Caldecott tunnel, she'd always say, hey, do you have your fabulous new designer guest purse in case you need to puke? It was pretty much a running joke with us. Um... I don't tell you this story to condone what Roxy and I did. I'm just trying to give you a little history and backstory of how crazy we were in our younger years and what kind of mischief we got into. I think everybody has a time in their life that they look back on and say, oh my God, how did I even make it here? Roxy and I often talked about that as we got older and got married and had kids. We'd be like, how in the hell did we ever make it to 40? I think sometimes some people are just luckier than others, and I think Roxy and I, thank God, were extremely lucky with these stupid adolescent mistakes that we made. So moving past Roxy and I's crazy adolescence and early young adulthood life, um, let's move on to when I was hospitalized. Like I said before, Roxy was a ride-or-die type of friend. When I was first hospitalized, I remember she was there every single day to visit me without fail. And like I said, I think I was in that hospital for eight to 10 days. I remember she used to come in and after they had put me on my uh, morphine button, she'd be like, hey, can I push your button? 
One time she even brought another one of our friends in with her and was like, hey, guys, watch me get Nicole Stone. And she'd go over and press my button like three times. She'd be like, now watch what Nicole does. Because apparently after my morphine would kick in, I'd get very relaxed and, and stoned looking. And she used to just come in there and tell me funny stories. Um, she would harass my nurses and say, hey, can I get a button like Nicole? And she just kind of kept me on my toes and always made me laugh and always made light of the situation. And I somehow when she was there, I always forgot I was laying in a hospital bed in extreme amounts of pain. When I was transferred to UCSF, which was probably about, I don't know, an hour or 45 minutes away from where Roxy lived, she couldn't visit me every day. But the first day I was transferred, she was there with me and my family and she waited for me to get all settled in. She stayed with me through my first emergency surgery or procedure. And I think I saw her maybe two to three times a week until I was released. She came and visited me every single day um, when I was staying with my grandmother until I left for Washington. So once I moved up to Washington, I talked to Roxy probably more frequently than I talked to my other friends. Not saying that my other friends weren't wonderful, but I leaned on Roxy a lot and she could always make me laugh. She always made light out of the situation. She would always make some sort of crazy blind ass joke or something like that. I'd be like, man, Roxy, my mom's driving me nuts. She's like, just kick her in the butt and say, I'm sorry, I'm blind. I didn't see you there. <laughs> I mean, she always just had the funniest things to say. I remember one time, I think it was during the end of 97, Maybe the beginning of 98, we had to take a trip to California to see doctors again. And I think at this time, the movie Titanic had come out and I really wanted to see it, but my family was like, uh, what's the point of going to see it? And I said, so I can listen to it, so I can have the movie experience. But they were all kind of Debbie Downer about it. Oh, we're just gonna have to sit in there and explain the whole movie to you. And I was like, well, crap, I do this all the time at home and I listen to the TV, but I think they were just so preoccupied with all my doctor's appointments and stuff. Nobody really had time to take me, but not Roxy. She's like, I just saw that movie, so I don't need to see it again. I can just sit by you and tell you what's going on if you get lost. So I remember thinking, wonderful, I get to go see this fabulous movie now. And we sat down in front and I discovered that if I sat really close and the plot line was pretty easy to follow, I could follow the movie pretty easily. But of course, I had Roxy narrating in my ear, which was hilarious because she was narrating it from a Roxy point of view. So I just remember being so thankful to her for taking me to the movies, for letting me have this experience, even though I was blind. So once I decided to jump in and go stay with Roxy for a couple months during the summer, I got really excited and kind of didn't remember that I was blind. And I started packing like a fiend. I remember I packed at least five suitcases because I didn't know what I might get into. And I remember I used to drive Roxy nuts with my 
my uh, shoe fetish. I remember talking to her on the phone saying, I packed a whole suit bag of sh or suitcase full of shoes. She'd be like, bitch, what do you need a suitcase full of shoes for? I said, I don't know. What if I don't have the right shoes while I'm there? She just used to laugh at me and tell me I was so crazy to be obsessed with all these shoes. So once I got all my luggage together, my stepfather loaded me up into the car with my mom and off to the airport we went. Like I said, I had traveled with my mom back and forth between Washington and California, but I had never traveled by myself. This was a whole new animal I was about to embark on. So getting through the airport is rather difficult when you're blind. And I did not want to stick out like a sore thumb, but unfortunately I did. So my parents got me all checked in and then they paid the people at the counter to have somebody escort me through um, the airport and get me on the plane because they couldn't physically go on the plane to seat me because they didn't have a ticket. So that was a whole new nightmare. I had to go with an ex stranger and through the security checkpoint and they had to put me on my in my seat. And then once I sat down, a flight attendant came over and asked me to please come with her because the pilot wanted to talk to me. I was like, okay. So up to the front I went and I sat down and I think they were under the impression that I had never flown before and I was blind and flying by myself. So he kind of walked me through everything that would happen on a flight and if I might feel a bump or a shake and that they were putting me in a seat where the flight attendants could access me better if I needed any help, make sure I knew where the call button was. And I said, okay, thank you very much. But I was somewhat, I don't know, embarrassed because I felt like the entire plane was looking at me funny. And then he jokingly handed me a pair of those kids wings you pin on your shirt. And then I had a seat in my chair. So my flight was uneventful and I was escorted off by air, airport staff down to the baggage claim and Roxy ran right over to me and told the person that was walking me, I'll take it from here. And so off we went to baggage claim. And I think the thing I liked the most was Roxy didn't really baby me or treat me any different. It was kind of like I hadn't really changed or I hadn't really lost my sight. I mean, of course, you know, I took her arm and she guided me, but it seemed like when I was with my mom or my grandparents or my stepfather, it seemed like it was always a big ordeal to make sure I knew what was going on and I knew where I was going and I knew what step was what. Whereas with Roxy, it's just like, hook on, come on, let's go. Okay, you know, uh, baggage cart to your left, let's step over. But it wasn't a big ordeal. So I think that's what I liked the most. So once we got my ridiculous five bags off the carousel, I took my carry-on, Roxy pulled two, I pulled two, and I held on to her so you can imagine what this looked like going through the airport. But we managed, just the two of us, we didn't have any help, and we got everything into her truck. 
and off we went to her apartment in Concord, California. And of course, we had to go through our favorite tunnel. And of course, Roxy had to ask if I had my guest purse to puke in. So this was a new apartment and this was not the one she was in when I left. So when we got there, she just said, I'm gonna get all the luggage upstairs first and then I'll take you up. And she didn't like, make a big deal out of the stairs. She's like, we'll just count them on the way up and I'll stand on the landing and make you sure, sure you get up. It wasn't like she was walking backwards up the steps as I was walking, which is what I'd been used to because that's what my parents always did. So we counted them up on the way and we counted them down on the way down. And she just basically told me, okay, you're on flat level. And I really liked that about her is that she didn't seem to <laughs> overcomplicate certain aspects of me being blind. Anyway, she opened her door and straight in front of us was a really small kitchen and to the right was kind of like a closet with sliding doors. And then if you took a left, she had a couch and a table. And then against the wall where the kitchen was, was a dresser and her little TV. And then against the opposite wall was a twin bed with a little dresser at the head of it and that was for me and all I really had to do because she said I kind of made it easy for you to get to the bathroom you just roll out of bed walk around the dresser and boom you're in the bathroom so that was nice that it was so easy then if you came out of the bathroom and looked to the right on the other side of the wall was her bed and all her stuff and then she had like a little sliding glass door where there was like a little balcony where you could go and she had chairs out there and you could sit and smoke. And that was pretty much the first thing I did was I went outside with Roxy, we sat on the chairs and we had a cigarette and some feeling of normal came over me finally. Now I'm not saying these months that I stayed with Roxy came without issues because there was definitely issues that I had a hard time dealing with or had a hard time getting over. And it seemed that Roxy just treated me like she always did and said, hey, bitch, get over it. Or hey, we can do this. Or hey, what's the problem? You're just blind, it's not a big deal. She could always make me laugh that way and always made me feel like it wasn't as big of a deal as I was making it out to be. So some of the first things that Roxy and I did together was we had talked about getting tattoos. So we went and got those together. Then we went to her mom's salon. So her mom was a hairdresser and her mom gave me my very first haircut after I'd had my head shaved in about a year. It was a pretty simple, easy haircut to manage and I felt like a whole new person. I did have a magnifying mirror that I could somewhat see in to do a little bit of makeup, but I had never really tried it on my own. So Roxy drove me to the drugstore and she picked out everything I told her that I used to wear. And of course we got dressed up and got all fancied up and did some makeup and went out on the town and went to a couple bars. We spent a lot of time at her boyfriend's house, which I had happened to introduce her to probably a year prior. He lived in this bachelor pad with several other guys, several of them I knew, one of them I dated, and we hung out there a lot. I ran into some very 
interesting individuals there. Met a couple of interesting young men I enjoyed the company of. And of course, as usual, we partied like only Roxy and Nicole can pretty much party. So Roxy was working and she usually worked nights. So some nights I was in her apartment by myself on my own and she had a little black and white TV that showed a couple channels and sometimes I would put that on and I'd listen to whatever was on there or she had a VCR because we didn't have DVDs back then and her and I used to love to watch Steel Magnolias so sometimes I would just watch that incessantly or listen to music and she would call in and check on me and make sure I was okay but I remember several of the nights I had been sitting there I couldn't sleep my anxiety started to kick in and I started to think, oh my God, what would I do if there's a fire? How would I get out of here? Um, Roxy and I had bought like snacks and pre-made food, stuff that I could access easily. But if I wanted to cook anything or have a hot meal, I couldn't do any of that. And I remember thinking, how would I ever do that? Would I be living off snacks and peanut butter crackers and stuff like that for the rest of my life if I lived on my own? How would I function? Because I was just sitting there and all these thoughts just kept running through my head. Like, how am I ever going to do this? I don't see how it's even possible to do this on my own. I think my anxiety was taking over and I was extremely scared and I think I was still in a ton of denial about the Seattle School for the Blind and having to go there and learn all that stuff and how to function on my own in my own apartment. So some nights I was thankful that the boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, excuse me, I had been talking to on the phone came and hung out with me or stayed with me while Roxy was at work. And then it just seemed the rest of my time there just kind of flew by and it kind of seemed like we were on the go a lot and doing a lot of different things because there was so much I wanted to do and catch up on. I remember Roxy and I went out to Oakley, California where I used to rent a room from my girlfriend's parents and I saw them and my girlfriends that I used to live in the house with and we had a barbecue and did some swimming. I also spent some time with my grandmother and some of my other friends that had kids. I went and stayed over the night with them and had dinner. I went to a couple movies with some friends. And of course, I made Roxy take me shopping as much as humanly possible because shopping with my mother was extremely hard because she never let me buy anything I really wanted because she'd tell me it was impractical. And Roxy wouldn't do that. She'd say, just go ahead and get it if you like it. It doesn't matter if you don't have anywhere to wear it. So, and of course, as usual, I drove Roxy absolutely insane, making her take me to every Payless shoe source I could possibly find in the Bay Area. I think I probably bought about 20 pairs of shoes while I was down there, and I was just driving her nuts with that. I remember when I was doing all this stuff, even though I was blind, it felt like my blindness was on the back burner, that it wasn't absolutely absorbing every inch of my life. It absolutely wasn't controlling everything I did. I think this was the closest I felt to normal or to my old self 
I had gotten in a very long time. Things just seemed a lot easier with Roxy to me, and I don't know if it was because she was my friend and it wasn't my mother because she's so laid back and just kind of went with the flow. I just didn't feel like my vision was absolutely controlling my day, whereas I felt like that with my mom, like everything surrounded like what we were going to do that day for my vision. And with Roxy, it was just so much easier for me. I think it was because Roxy pretty much let us wing it as we went along and it wasn't like all planned out or scheduled or like, what if we did this or what if we did that? It was just like, let's just do it and see what happens. And I think I really liked that part of it and I really didn't want it to stop. Yeah. Unfortunately, even though I didn't want it to end, I knew my time was growing very short and I would have to return home soon. I would have to go back to the doctors and the therapy and trying to figure out what the future held and dealing with my blindness and not living in denial anymore. I remember my grandparents were driving me back home because my mother, stepfather and brother were going back east for my um, father's family reunion and I wasn't up to going. So my grandparents were driving me back and I remember they came up to Roxy's to pick me up. And my grandpa's like, what did you do? Buy out all of California? Because I had so much stuff. Cause like I said, I made Roxy take me shopping and I probably bought like 15, 20 pairs of shoes. And they had this huge Lincoln Continental, which they had their luggage in and they had to move it to the back seat because all my stuff took up the huge trunk. And I don't know, any of you have seen it, but you can probably pit, fit about four bodies in the back of a Lincoln Continental truck. <laughs> so on our long 12-hour drive back to Washington, I remember sitting there listening to music and doing a lot of thinking about everything I had done for those two months. And I remember thinking to myself, so how can I take what I just did and blend it with everything I have to do? and not lose myself in there somewhere and not let the blindness basically take over. I guess I was on my search for normal. I was looking for maybe a new normal on how to blend these two pieces of my life and not lose myself in them. So listeners, thank you for tuning in. And if you like what you heard, please hit that subscribe or like button. And I leave you with much aloha for now until we meet again.